Well, some of you uh, may have seen the film, uh, it's a documentary film um, called The Walk, and it's a film all about a man called Philippe Petit. Um, He is French, and uh, on the morning of August 7th, 1974, he, he walked across a high wire that he had strung illegally between the two uh, towers of the World Trade Center. And he made eight passes across it. Um, He walked across, he he kind of danced across, uh, he lay down, um, he he knelt to the, uh, the crowd below, he saluted them. He was 410 meters in the air and uh, I don't think I could do that. Uh, incredible. Why have I uh, begun in that way? Let me, I'll explain in a moment. I didn't begin like that to give you the heebie-jeebies. Uh, this evening we're, we're thinking about plans, we're thinking about guidance. I think this is a, a topic that lots of us can, can wrestle with. How do I know God's will? What should I do with my life? Am I really on the right track in life? How can I know that? And as I was preparing this sermon, I heard that a good friend of mine, he's decided to move on from from a church that he has pastored with, I think, real love, real faithfulness. He's done that for six years. He's moving on to something else. Decisions like that are hard. They're painful, even when people know that's the right thing to do. And yet, I think so often, lots of us, we can think uh, of our life with God as being a bit like uh, Philippe Petit, the man on the high wire. Uh, Lots of us, even as Christians, if we've been Christians a long time, we can be frightened of taking the wrong step. Uh, Sometimes we can be kind of frozen in life. We can be paralyzed and, and, and afraid of slipping, even if we're very sincere Christians, maybe especially if we're very sincere Christians. I think these verses tonight, verses 1 to 9 of uh, Proverbs 16, I think they can, if we take them to heart, I think they can liberate us a little bit. And as we look at them, I want to pick out three kind of themes, three themes in these verses. Here they are, the perspective this passage gives, the questions it raises, and the traits it creates, the perspective it gives, the questions it raises, and the traits it creates. Firstly, the perspective it gives. I think this passage shows us that, uh, to quote Shakespeare, there is a divinity that shapes our ends. These verses, they give us a framework, they give us a way to view our whole Lives. Just look at the, the beginning and the end of the passage. Verse 1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Or look at verse 9, the very last verse, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Now that word plans is used in verses 1 and 9. Interestingly, that, that word in uh, the two verses, it means kind of different things. In verse 1, it implies kind of arranging things with care. Maybe kind of, I don't know, putting sticks in, on the ground to prepare a fire. In verse 9, it's, it's a bit different. It's thinking, it's strategizing. Uh, that leads to action. 
And so here is somebody making careful decisions. This is a person who is who's thinking and, and considering their actions. And Proverbs tells us even when we do that, someone else is involved. Proverbs is telling you and I tonight that we live guided lives. We make plans, we make decisions, but someone else is there. Someone else is leading us, someone else is guiding us, someone else is carrying us through life. He is there at every single moment. And I think if we scan through the passage, we see this. In every verse, if you look at the the passage kind of as a whole, in every verse apart from verse 8, God is referred to and man is referred to. It's kind of back and forth, back and forth. So look at verse 2 as an example. All the ways of a man are pure in his eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Or verse 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes his enemies to be at peace with him. And Proverbs is telling us tonight that God is actively involved in our lives, in our decisions. And friends, this is very, very good news. This is a relief. You and I are not on a high wire tonight. Em Invictus is a famous poem by William Ernest Henley. Maybe you know it. The last two lines, they say this, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That is the way that you and I as human beings so often we want to live, isn't it? It's Genesis 3. We want control. We're told that we can do whatever we want, be whoever we want. We're told that nothing is impossible. And yet that mentality can lead to so much sin. That mentality can lead us to just kind of steamroll through life and hurt other people as we try and prove ourselves. And it can also lead to so much pressure, pressure to kind of curate our own identity and present it to the world. Someone has called this performative individualism. Life is a stage, I am the main character, and I need to put in an Oscar-winning performance every day. This creates a kind of drivenness and a fear that we won't make the mark. And God wants to set us free from that kind of thinking. God wants us, He wants you and I to rest. He knows us. He loves us. He is walking with us through our lives. Our lives are guided lives. All our decisions, everything we do is known by Him ahead of time. It is woven together by Him. And we sang uh, Psalm 121 this morning. The end of that psalm, how does it go? It talks about our going out, our coming in. God knows our end from our beginning. God knows all our days before one came to be. God is never taken by surprise. And God's Word tells us that our times are in His hands. We are kept people. Friends, can you begin to see the difference that that makes to your life? Or maybe, if I can put it the other way, can you imagine not knowing that? 
Can you imagine not knowing that God was guiding your life? So many people in this world don't know that, do they? Jesus said, didn't he? They're like sheep without a shepherd. And so many people, they reach for ways of explaining, understanding their lives. Some people talk about fate, don't they? It's very ironic. People who who believe in science, people who day-to-day would consider themselves rational, kind of thinking people, they can be so subjective about their own lives. They They can say it was meant to be. They can have a kind of vague sense that, that the universe, this kind of impersonal reality is somehow guiding them. And Prince Harry, I don't mean to pick on Prince Harry, but he was uh, in the media a lot this week, wasn't he? When he met Meghan Markle, he said, the stars aligned. The stars aligned. Well, we can say so much more than that, can't we, as Christians? Our lives are not guided by chance. They're not guided by the stars. They're guided by the one who made the stars. And in the film, um, Slumdog Millionaire, one of the, the characters says the reason for his, I won't spoil the film for you, his surprising success is that it is written it is written. And yet the wonderful thing for us this evening is that we know more than that. We know that not just in a sense our lives are written, we know there's an author. And we don't just know that there's an author, we know the author. You and I as Christians, this is our Father's world. We are guests in His reality. And this passage, it teaches us that He's guiding our ways. He's guiding our ways. Our lives are guided lives. That's the perspective that these verses give us. But there's something else, a second thing. Here's the second heading, the questions it raises. The questions it raises. As we look at this passage, we don't just see the the perspective that this passage gives us. We see the questions it raises. What are those questions? I think it'd be really fascinating to chat about this passage after the service. Maybe you've got questions as you've read it this evening. Let me try and kind of anticipate some of those questions. I think we might hear this passage and think, if everything is guided by God, do we have any agency? Are you and I, are we just puppets? Or maybe verse 4 is kind of troubling for us as we look at it. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for the day of trouble. Does that mean that God is somehow kind of implicated in acts of evil? Well, let's think about the first kind of set of questions. They're, They're really all about the relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Um, Andy and I have got lots of books in our bookshelves all about this idea, this uh, conundrum for lots of people. I think one of the first things we have to say is there's an element of mystery here. There's deep waters here. This is an issue, God's sovereignty, human responsibility. It's an issue that Christians have wrestled with for centuries. 
and there are limits to our understanding. But one of the things the Bible does again and again is it just puts these two things side by side, divine sovereignty and human responsibility side by side with no sense of embarrassment, no apology. So let me give you some examples. Genesis 50 verse 20, remember what Joseph said to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You acted but God was acting too. Or Pharaoh. Pharaoh, I'm hoping to preach through the first part of Exodus after the summer. What do we read at different points in that story? Pharaoh hardened his heart, and yet we also read the Lord hardened his heart. Joseph, Pharaoh, or what about election? Election. When the gospel is put in front of you and me, when we're called by someone to to believe that message, you and I, we can't say, I don't know if I'm one of the elect. God is sovereign, and yet you and I, we're still accountable. And I think this is hard for us to get our heads around. A friend of mine uh, he's something of a, a mentor to me in a way. He, he said that he, he wrestled with this idea for years as a young Christian, and eventually he got down on his knees and he said to God, you are God and I am not. And all of us have to get to that point. All of us have to say, Lord, I can't square this circle and yet I choose to trust you. And as we do that, we find comfort. You see, look at verse 5. Proverbs tells us that there are things that God really hates. Proverbs says there is behavior that he will punish. And it might not look like that. It might seem somehow that evil is going to triumph, but God rules, God reigns, and God will judge. And so I don't mean to be flippant, but God's universe is not like George Lucas's universe. In Star Wars, the light, the dark, they do battle, don't they? And the only reason that you know that the light is going to win is because it's Hollywood, because it's a movie. And there's no kind of God ruling over these things. Part of the drama is that at different points it feels like the dark side is going to win, doesn't it? But in God's reality, it's different. He is not the author of evil, but he is sovereign over it. There is no doubt that one day justice will be done and be seen to be done. And how do you and I know that? Well, just think of the cross. When Peter preached at Pentecost, what did he say? This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. See, the same thing in Acts chapter 4 is the, the early church prays. The cross was the most wicked act that human beings had ever committed. And yet the cross was also the place, in the words of verse 6, that 
our iniquity was atoned for, where God demonstrated His, His steadfast love, His faithfulness. And so, if God can do that, you and I, we can be assured that when Jesus returns, justice will be done, and justice will be seen to be done. So, look at it uh, again at verse 4. And that word purpose, can you see it? The Lord has made everything for its purpose. That word really means answer. In God's universe, the wicked will do that. The wicked will answer. They will give an account. And so someone's put it like this. Someone has said of this kind of conundrum, this challenge to our thinking, here's how they put it. There will be no loose ends in the universe. There will be no loose ends in the universe. At the end of time, God will bring the harmony, the peace, the justice that you and I long for. But what difference does all of this make to our lives? We've seen the perspective this passage gives. We've seen some of the questions it raises that you and I have to wrestle with, even as believers. Thirdly, finally, look at the traits it creates, the traits this passage creates. Let me pick out uh, a further three. I think the first trait we see here is uh, humility. Humility. I think that's the right word. Look at verse three. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So the writer of Proverbs says that word commit, it means kind of roll upon or, or give over to. So, so verse 3, it doesn't mean that you and I, we can do whatever we want as long as we pray about it. It doesn't mean that God will somehow bless sin. No, this verse reminds us to hold our plans, to hold our, our opinions lightly. And when we do that, when we say to God in a situation, whatever it is, when we say, your will be done, when we let God set our agenda, then our lives will have a stability to them. Our plans will be established. I think we see a similar thing in verse 2. You and I, we've got all kinds of ideas, don't we? We think we should do A or B or C and at different points in life. Well, look what the passage says. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. God weighs our motives. And the wise person wants God to do that. The wise person doesn't want to have everything their own way. The wise person wants God to kind of search them out, search out their motives. It reminds me of the prayer at the end of uh, Psalm 139 that we looked at at the prayer meeting on Wednesday. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a really wise, it's a really humble prayer that, isn't it? God, I know my own heart. I know my motives in life can be mixed. Help me as I make decisions to do the things that please you. So humility, that's one of the traits 
I think this passage creates. But there's a second thing, contentment. Contentment. One of the things this passage teaches us is that we don't always get what we want. Sometimes God in his wisdom does not allow you and I to have certain things. That can be a very painful experience in life. Maybe we have plans and hopes. And as we go through our lives, things we thought might happen don't happen. God has different plans. I think when that happens, God's doing all kinds of things, isn't he? And yet, I think one of the things God is doing is he, he's asking us, he's teaching us slowly to, to trust him. He's teaching us contentment, contentment. Look at verse 8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Look at that verse and ask yourself a question. What is implied there? One of the commentators this week helped me uh, see this. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. What's implied is that righteous people are not always affluent people. Sometimes God blesses Christians, He blesses believers financially, but it's not a given. And sometimes, the flip side of that, sometimes wealth is accumulated in a way that can harm others or is out of step with God's Word. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Whoever gets the most toys wins. That's how some people view life, isn't it? They pile up all kinds of treasure. They strive after all kinds of success. And yet you look at their relationships. You ask them if they're happy. And so often the answer to those questions is no. So often as they've earned and loved money, they've pushed the people closest to them away. And on their deathbeds, well, they realize they've wasted their lives. They missed things that really count. And God wants you and I to experience contentment. Paul calls it a secret in Philippians. It's, in other words, it's not immediately obvious. You and I, if we want to know contentment, we need to ask God to reveal it to us, and God has. God has made it clear to us that there is much, much more to life than money. What does Jesus say? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so tonight, are you content do you always need more? We brought nothing into this world. We take nothing with us. The wise person knows that. And as God guides them through life, they don't assume that poverty or lack will mean that somehow God has abandoned them or that somehow they're outside of His will they learn to see that God actually might be teaching them something in those circumstances. 
So humility, contentment. Lastly, confidence. Confidence. I think one of the things this passage teaches us or helps us see is that if God will one day bring shalom on a kind of macro level, then I can trust him to to take care of my little life. I can trust God in the micro. I can walk confidently through life knowing that God actually is my Father, that He loves me, that He cares for me. So you think back to uh, that high wire. Maybe your palms are, are sweating if you think about that high wire. I don't think that is how you and I should view our life with God. It kind of like one slip and it's all over. Um, a friend of mine, he likes to say that, that God's will, it's not like a tightrope. Um, it's more like a field that you and I, we get to run around in. We're God's children. There are boundaries. There are fences. There are things we are not to do. And yet there is also massive freedom. And when you and I know that God is in ultimate control of our lives, when we know we have a safety net, when we know there are arms underneath us, then we can make decisions, we can try things, we can take risks, if you like, we can pray and act, we can ask God to lead us. And God does do that. Friends, God doesn't want us to be paralyzed with fear. And I think there's maybe a special application here for those who are younger, maybe at school, thinking about the future, university, kind of early stages of work. God wants us to act. God wants us to be bold. God has made you and I with all kinds of different gifts, different personalities. He wants us to use them for his service. He doesn't want us to hold back. He wants us to give our all, knowing that he really is guiding our lives. So friends, let this passage give you confidence. What does Jesus say? Do not worry about your life. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Not even Solomon was dressed like one of these. And I've shared these words, I think, before in a sermon um, from somebody. They've, they've meant a, a huge amount to me. Listen to this sentence. Life is lived forward, but understood backwards. Life is lived forward, but understood backwards. So often in life, we don't know what's around the corner. We don't understand things that are happening to us. Sometimes we do later. And yet there are some things you and I will only grasp, will only fully understand in the new creation. And so until then, may God help you and I to live lives that please Him. May God help us to commit our ways to Him. May we know and trust that He is guiding our lives. Because as the psalmist says, this God is our God forever and ever. 
and he will be our guide even to the end, even to the end. Well, let's have a moment to reflect and then I'll pray.